The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. Today we are going to talk about two different types of workshops, the Fine Art Photography Summit and the little-known workshops. And we are going to start with the Fine Art Photography Summit, which now is in its 13th year. Yes, it is. That's a long time. It is. So let's start about how we got started doing the summit in uh, 2003, right? Yes. I'll have you talk about it because you're the one that did it with Michael Reichman and Uwe Steinmiller, well, the very first one. Yeah, originally the summit was an idea that uh, I had with Uwe Steinmiller. And I think that Uwe sort of suggested the idea of doing a yearly event in which we would uh, get together and uh, have a large group of photographers photograph and then process their images. And we decided to call it the summit. And uh, it evolved over the years. But I think originally the idea was pretty much Uwe's because I was doing field workshops and uh, he did not want to do field workshops. He wasn't interested. I remember that. But he wanted to do an event and he wanted to do an event in a classroom. And he wanted that event to be more than a few days. You know, the summit is five days, I think. And uh, he decided that we would call it the summit. Right. And so that's how it started. And the very first summit was actually organized in Phoenix. And uh, we had uh, Michael Reichman, we had Steve Kosak, and we had myself and Uber as uh, presenters, I believe. I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's a long way. I know Michael Reichman um, on the first Friday night, you know, gave a presentation. Right. Did not stay the whole time. You know, I think Michael just stayed the first day and then... Uh, moved on to doing other things. He didn't want to stay the whole event. But uh, the event was basically very similar to what it is now. You know, oh, in, yeah, in because school. the goal and you and Uver had the same idea is that you wanted um, also to bring in other photographers eventually to teach different techniques and everything and for it to be a very positive event where photographers could get together, share information, go photograph together and just have a, a great time, uh, make friendships as well as contacts, you know, all sorts of things. I think you and Uber's goals were aligned. Yeah, we wanted it to, to be summit. an event in which we teach photography, we do photography, but also we network and we meet people and we bring guest speakers. Yes. That was also a, a very important aspect of the summit, that every year we have a different guest speaker. And in the beginning, Uber also brought quite a few sponsors. I don't know, Epson, Canon used to come and... Um, they lent out camera equipment. I know we would like go to a place before sunrise and one of the Canon guys would just open up the trunk of his car and people could just borrow a lens, you know, sign it out and go shoot with it. And Right. Yeah. Uber took care of the summit sponsors. And uh, when Uber decided to not do the summit again, which I think was in 2010 is 10, when it ended. I did not follow up with the sponsors because I did not have all the contacts and I did not think that it was something that I wanted to do. And so we now operate with a minor amount of sponsors. What we do is uh, we have basically Epson provide printers and that has been about it. Uber had a lot of sponsors, not because they brought you know any significant amount of money, but because I think he enjoyed uh, 
the relationship with him. He did. He, uh, phase one, Kevin Raber would come and give a presentation. He always had uh, some phase one stuff to raffle off and talk about his product. And Yeah, and we are not opposed to having sponsors. It's just that I don't have the contacts that Uber had, and I did not feel like pursuing uh, in developing these contacts. But anybody that wants to be a sponsor of the summit is welcome to contact us, of course. For us today, the important thing is to have printers in order to be able to create prints of the photographs taken during the summit for the participants. Besides that, occasionally we have a participant that wants to present their wares. You know, we had somebody present uh, mounting plates a couple of years ago. You know, different things, sometimes software. It's more on a freewheel basis than anything else at this point. I remember we had one person that just wanted to do a presentation on stock photography. He sold stock photography and he wanted to do a presentation on that, and that was many years ago. Right, yeah, and it was a guest speaker. We are pretty much open to ideas because the summit has that format where we can accommodate different ideas. You know, it's not just us. It's actually also the guest speakers, uh, the prisoners, the sponsors. And so there is a certain flexibility in the format. Mm -hmm. And we always leave the guest speaker totally free to decide what it is that we want to teach. Absolutely. You know, I hire the guest speaker on the basis of how interesting their work is, but they decide what it is that we want to speak about, mm -hmm. what it is that we want to talk, teach, um, contribute, all of that. Right. Yeah. And I think it's better that way because that way we have uh, the person really on their own, you know, showing us what it is that they do, you know, on their own without us interfering. Right. Which I think is important. Yeah. And some use plugins and some don't. And Various um, software. We had Vincent Versace that uses Nikon and uh, a lot of uh, software that I don't normally use. Right. You know, Was we've it had like uh, Nick software. Ni a lot of Nick software. Yeah. Uh, we've had Jeff Shuey who uses Adobe Photoshop and Lightroom only. Right. Uh, almost actually little bit of light of, of Photoshop and mostly Lightroom. So the advantage of the summit and the interest for the participants is to have not only my take on digital photography, but the guest speakers take. Oh, yes. And if you come and many of them do over and over again, you know, every year, you end up having a lot of different ideas on how this can be done, how different people do this. Right. You know. And that's the advantage of the summit. If you take your film workshop with us, you have my take on uh, digital photography. If you attend the summit, you have not only my take, but also the guest speaker's take. And like I said, if you come several years, then several different guest speakers' uh, opinion. Yes. In detail, because we give one-hour presentations each uh, several times a day for the duration of the summit. And they show their work, their own personal work, so you get to see um, actual prints of their work as well. Very important. Most photographers never see actual prints. They only see photographs on the web, which are greatly diminished versions of the actual prints. So it's a very important experience. And not only that, but they also get to have uh, the prints made in front of them, you know, during the summit. Right. Well, and Mark Nelson, when we looked at his prints, he had platinum prints. Yeah, and Mark and, uh, Nelson was different because he does platinum printing. So that, obviously we couldn't do that during the summit, but he brought prints that he had done before. Mm -hmm. And uh, suddenly we are very interesting prints, very unique, very rich. An experience that everybody can only appreciate in person. There is no doubt about that. Right. You can't really appreciate a real fine art print on the web. It just doesn't compare. 
Everybody that comes to our gallery or to the summit tells us how much better the prints look in reality than on the web, and that's normal. You know, it'd be very disappointing that people say the opposite of that. Pretty depressing, actually. What other aspects of the summit do we have? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'll talk about it, since I do logistics. <laughs> yeah. You do logistics. Since I, I do, do the schedule and logistics. Yeah. Well, we have some repeat customers that only attend this event pretty much every year, just because they love the format. They love the fact that we go out and we shoot sunrise, then there's couple of presentations in the morning. Usually you start the very first presentation, then the guest speaker, then we break for lunch. And depending, you know, on the length of the days, we either have one more presentation after lunch, and then we go out and shoot sunset together. Then we break for dinner. And then in the evening, usually from 7.30 to 9.30, everybody's working on their images in Lightroom or in Photoshop and uh, you are there and whoever the guest speaker is is there as well to help those that want some help but also give them input on what you think about the composition whatever which is one of the unique aspects of the summit the fact that we have one-on-one work sessions between the participants and me and the guest speaker and we don't have that anywhere else because the summit is really a combination of field work presentations and then studio work yes so we go we take photographs and the first presentation on friday is actually a presentation about where to photograph in the area showing all the different locations of that one area and then after that we photograph morning and evening sunrise and sunset which are the two best times of the day of course for landscape photography and then during the day we have the presentations by myself and the guest speaker which are about one hour long each right yes they are uh, with question answers at the end and then in the evening we have the one-on-one work sessions where people bring in their laptops work on their photographs and we're here to help them yes and that's a combination that has been very successful because it provides for a complete workflow from taking the photo to basically printing the photo with everything in between. And that's very appreciated, I believe, from the participants, and that's why so many of them come back over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then the last day, we do a projected review where those that want to participate, you know, submit an image that they took during the summit. It has to be during the summit. Right. And everybody gets to see each other's work, and um, you make comments on it. And last year, Vincent was the guest speaker. He made comments and suggestions on what they could do to their image and everything. And, and we show improvements because we project from Lightroom. And so we can actually make improvements live in Lightroom to the image and show what the changes are. Right then and there. I had a number of people when the summit was over last year after that group review tell me just how much they learned, not only from watching what you and Vincent did to their own images, but what you did to everybody's images. They said that right there was very valuable to them, watching all of the different things. It's live. And uh, there's no substitute because you may have struggled with an issue in a photo or you may not have been aware that there is an issue. And we take a look at it, we find out what the issue is, we fix it, and we show you exactly how we fix it. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the most important learning opportunities of the summit. To have somebody work on your images live and uh, do that, you know, so that you can exactly see and be able to redo it yourself later on. And there's a number of summit participants that come together and they carpool every year. 
they come to the summit, they meet at the summit, mm-hmm. you know, and then they carpool the whole duration of the summit and just hang out with each other the whole time. Which is one of the aspects of our workshops, not just the Fine Art Photography Summit, but all our workshops, the camaraderie. Yes. A lot of participants become friends with each other and uh, really enjoy the camaraderie that develops during the workshops, either between groups that form spontaneously or with new participants because for the most part I would say almost all of our participants get along with each other yeah they do there's not really you know like a group of people that are privy to being happy during the workshop and the rest just sort of hang out everybody has a good time Mm -hmm. I think the only question I have from people that call in regards to the summit who have never attended is they wonder if um, they're afraid that they don't know enough in Lightroom and Photoshop to attend Um, and the answer is we take it from the very beginning so that somebody that has basically never worked in Lightroom never worked in Photoshop can understand how this is done all that we ask is that you know you have Lightroom and you have Photoshop and a laptop and a laptop yeah otherwise there's no other requirement Mm -hmm. you don't have to be an expert in the list this is not an expert event it's an event for every photographer whether you're from a beginning level or from an advanced level and we offer teaching we offer presentations on both the introduction aspects and the advanced aspects yes so that everybody can benefit Yes, and this year we're doing something different where at the end of the three-day photographic vision field workshop to Navajo land last year, some of them that are coming back for the summit this year asked if we would do a projects table for them where they could display their work and get feedback from the other participants that they've known for years, but they want to show what Mm. the projects that they're working on and they're going to have them completed before this year's summit. Right, yeah, that's something that developed during the the field workshops. The field workshops are a three-day event that takes place after the summit. So once the summit is finished, we now turn the event into a field workshop. And we bring in only about half of the participants, or a smaller group, and during three days we do only field work. And for a lot of participants, the advantage is twofold. A, it makes it worth their time to come from a long distance because that now is what, a eight-day event total? Or uh, six. Six, six, full day event six full days. Six full days total. And then one half day. And right? one so half day. So seven days, basically. Which makes it justifiable for people who travel long distances. We have people come from overseas. We have people that come from Norway, Australia, uh, Germany, France. I mean, all over the place. South Africa sometimes. And then the second thing is it makes the event more interesting in the sense that we now come out of the classroom because even though we photograph morning and evening, we spend most of the, uh, of the day during the summit in the classroom. Right. And then now we're going to spend most of the day, if not all day, Outdoors. out in the field photography. And it's a welcome relief after four days in the classroom. Oh, yeah. And we picnic together. And, it's fun. you know, I have a yeah. truckload of uh, chairs and we all picnic together and eat together. And That's an important aspect of the summit in the sense of being relaxing and, of course, creating photographs using what we learned during the summit. So it's an opportunity to practice, but also a chance to relax, to basically practice landscape photography for what is really landscape photography, which is field work. Right. And sometimes, like this last time, you gave them an assignment or told them, I want you to start thinking about a project to do. And then, you know, we set aside some just a little bit of time in the morning and said, okay, who's going to do a project and what are you going to do it on? And, right. you know, they said the title of their project, what they're going to do. And 
Yeah, yeah there's always teaching during the field workshop, but in a much more, let's say, relaxed manner, mm -hmm. much more decontracted. It's not a one-hour presentation. It's no. a lot shorter than that, but it's to the point. You know? It is. And last year, it worked very well. It did. And a lot of people got really involved in finding a project and uh, in getting started. And like you said, this year, we might see some of the results during the summit, which is in Dev Valley, by the way. Last year was in Archers National Park and Canyonlands in Moab, Utah, and this time it's in Dev Valley yes. National Park. And so we might see some of these projects uh, being finished, you know, and, and like you said, we have, if that happens, a table where we can display their projects. Mm -hmm. And that's important because there needs to be a, a sharing of the efforts that the participants make, but also it's important for those that haven't completed a project to see what others have done. Exactly. As an example of what can be done. Right. Because a lot of people don't know exactly what they can do until they see somebody else do something comparable. Exactly. It also gives them ideas as well, you know, especially if they're in a kind of like stuck or... Don't know where to go, yeah. Yeah, well, no, and I'm then sure they're like, oh, can do it. Or, yeah. oh, now I know what I can do. Right. So, do you um, want to talk a little bit about this year's summit? Sure. Quickly? Well, this year's summit's in Death Alley, so we'll be meeting at 4 p.m. on Friday. I believe it's November 6th. And so the first night, Alan will show the maps of the park, and we will talk about where to photograph sunrise and sunset. We'll make sure we have an afternoon off, which is usually Sunday afternoon, where we have presentations in the morning till noon, then we break for lunch, and then we schedule a whole afternoon off because some places where they want to photograph are far, so that gives them time to like drive 22 miles to the sand dunes, hike in the sand dunes, or do some of these other things that they want to do that they can't do if we have presentations in the afternoon. Then after the summit, we have the three-day photographic vision field workshop to the Eastern Sierra. Well, we'll start at the, in Lone Pine, we'll photograph the Alabama Hills, and then we'll start on our way to Bishop and photograph the lakes around Bishop, and then we'll end up in Lee Vining photographing Mono Lake. Yeah, I think that's a very exciting itinerary. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you <laughs> photograph Dev Valley, you photograph the Alabama Hills, you photograph the Eastern Sierra, you photograph uh, the lakes and the mountains around Bishop, and you photograph Mono Lake. I mean, there's not a single place that's not world-class. Right. Really. And then the other reason why we like to have Sunday afternoon kind of off, you know, they come back and they work on their images in the evening is if they want to do hikes, for example, if they want to do some short hikes. Or long I driving. Know. Yeah. I mean, some of them during Dev Valley will go to the rest track, which oh, is a yes, long drive, but they'll, they'll rent a Jeep. or And carpool with each other. Right. You know, some of them will rent a Jeep together. Last year, what they did, since it was in Arches, is there was a number of them that wanted to hike to Delicate Arch. So mm -hmm. they needed that time to mm -hmm. go hike to the arch and then hike back after sunset and everything. And it was great because they get to know each other during the summit. So they're hiking together. They're with people that mm -hmm. they already know. And I think it for some people, it made it less scary. For some of them didn't want to hike alone to Delicate Arch. Now for Death Valley, some of them are not going to want to drive to the racetrack by themselves. So they're going to love the idea of renting a Jeep with somebody and just going together, you know, and right. usually three of them right. will rent a, a Jeep together. Yeah, I mean, being with others gives you more 
drive to get things done than being by yourself. You, you feel motivated in a group. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes one person knows how to do it and you just let that person guide you, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and so that, I think, is the advantage of, uh, you know, participating in a workshop or participating in a fine art photography summit. The, the fact that on your own, you would do less. You, know? mm -hmm. you could go there on your own, there's no doubt, but you would do less because you don't have the drive that comes from being part of a group. You know, I mean, you show certain things to the members of the group, but then they show you certain things as well. Right. There's an exchange, you know. Well, I know what I enjoy hearing, you know, at the end of like a Friday night, Saturday night, or Sunday night is when they all get together and they're like, okay, where are we going to go tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow morning, you know. Right. And they have this discussion and then they're like, okay, so what time are we going to meet in the lobby here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they're getting all their plans. Very exciting. You know? Yeah, they are. And uh, I remember uh, last year, one of them said to me, wow, I wish we had two thermoses, you know, so that we could bring coffee with us. And I said, well, I got two thermoses in the truck you can borrow. Here you go. I'll go get them for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you carry everything. I do. I always tell them, just ask, because yeah. you never know what's you in that truck. You probably have it. <laughs> if, even if you have not mentioned it, you probably have it. <laughs> yes. Oh. No, and I think that's really, uh, I think that sums it up pretty well for the summit. And over the years, we've had it uh, organized, uh, like I said, in Phoenix, with the field workshops in Sedona, and then the field workshops in uh, the Page. Sonoran Desert, in Tucson, in Page, with Antelope Canyon. Right. In Zion. We went to Bryce and Bryce Capitol Canyon, Reef. Capitol Reef, uh, Archers, Canyonlands. Uh, Navajo Land. Navajo Land, uh, several times. And then Dev Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, and we would organize it in other places, but the problem is that we need a hotel that has a conference room. Yeah. And in some small towns, that's just not available. Well, you know, I am working well we were thinking about doing it for uh 2016 16 at grand canyon yeah and so that's feasible the grand hotel has a conference room they do so we yeah. might do it there but that stops us from doing it for example in chinle uh, in navajo land because the hotel has a conference room oh. but it's ridiculously small would never hold on uh, the, the number no, of people we have i think it's what 10 people you know a maximum oh. If that much. I don't even know if you can fit 12 to 15 yeah. in there. It's very small. You know, of course, yeah. a place like uh, Joshua Tree doesn't have anything. You know, 29 Palms doesn't have any facilities. No, they don't. It's, it's very challenging. You know, Capitol Reef doesn't have a place at all, so we have to do it in Zion and drive to Capitol Reef during the field workshops. We are sort of uh, prevented from doing it in some places because of the facilities, you know, the right. hotels. But then what we do is we organize it in a nearby town, that has the facilities and then go to these locations during the field workshop. And trying to find exciting locations to photograph <laughs> that for, can accommodate a large group as for, well. For seven days. Yes. Because I think any location would be, or just about any location would be interesting to photograph for a day or half a day or an hour. But seven days, that requires a whole lot more than just a little bit of interest. Oh, yeah. And, and when the first summit first started with uh, Uber and Michael the first couple of years, we didn't photograph sunrise and sunset. This has evolved over the years. We do more now. Yeah. You know. Um, we did not understand exactly how important it is to photograph during the event. As well. In the beginning. We found it was mostly a processing and converting workshop and printing workshop. But now we realize that it's very important to photograph because... Processing photograph that you've done before is not the same as processing photograph that you've done during the event. Right. Because the advantage for the participants at the end when we do the final print review is to compare the photograph that they've taken 
of that one location where we are, let's say, you know, Zion or Dev Valley, with the photograph of the other participants of the same location. Oh, yeah. Because they learn how other people have seen and interpreted the scene. Right. They have a common ground, which is everybody photographed Dev Valley, everybody photographed Zion, everybody photographed Antelope Canyon. If people bring photographs from every place on Earth, there's no possible comparison. Right. You know, right. and I think that that's a big part of the learning is how everybody's interpreting the same location. Oh, yeah. And I hear them make comments during the uh, projected review like, well, you know, I walked right by that, but I didn't see that. Exactly. (laughs) You know, I was there when he was there, but I didn't see that. (laughs) Yeah. I would never have thought of doing that. Yeah, exactly. Or I would never have thought of processing it that way, or I would never have thought of composing it that way. They are learning, and they are learning in a big way because it's real. It's happening right there in front of you. These are people that you can talk to that are in the same room. It's not abstract. Mm -hmm. You know, they they are are real. You know, and what you learn through direct action like that stays with you. Yes. You never forget it, you know. It's not the same as learning by reading an essay online, you know. This is learning by doing. Right. And by having something affect you personally, directly, immediately, through your own work, you know, and the work of others. And those are lessons that you never forget. Mm-hmm. So I think that sums it up pretty good yeah. for the summit. Well, other than, you know, we're all going to be staying in Death Valley, I have a... Uh, Rooms, a block of rooms reserved at the uh, Furnace Creek Ranch. And all the restaurants are going to be open in November, so we're not going to have any problems mm. getting breakfast and dinner and, and all of that. They'll be fully open. Sure. No, the only thing so. is if you're interested in participating, making sure that you contact us and uh, complete the registration now because the film workshops really they, are the ones that fill out the quickest. They fill out first. And right now, I think they already are half full, right, from uh, the previous participants? They are because uh, we had several at the end of last year's summit register right then and there right. during the summit, yes. We, we open it to pre-registration to previous participants, and uh, right now probably the film workshops are at least half full. And they are probably going to fill up very fast as soon as we open it uh, to mm-hmm. normal well, registration. Right. Well, right now I have 17 yeah, so that's, in the summit, yeah. it, but yeah. um, they're not all going on the photographic fish and field workshop, right, but right. there's 17 people. But it's a bit helpful either way. You know, it is. Whether it's the yeah. summit or the field workshops. You know, yeah. Uh, it's a very popular event. Uh, it fills us fast, and uh, if you want to be, you know, joining us, just be sure to register quickly. That's all. Otherwise, uh, you know, you'll be disappointed, and we don't want that. Why don't we talk about the little-known workshops now to continue and uh, versus sort of the regular change, uh, the subject a little bit? Yeah, and compare it with our regular field workshops, because we offer two different types of field workshops: the regular field workshops, which are open to twelve people and uh, where during which we go to locations that we can basically photograph with 12 people, which is a relatively large group. And then the little-known workshops, which are open only to six people, so half of the normal workshops, and during which we go to locations that we can only go with a small group and that require a little bit more effort to get to, you know, four-wheel drive, um, dirt roads, uh, more or less adventure sometimes. And uh, we offer these... uh, in a number of locations, starting with Navajo Land, and yes. then now expanding into other locations. Navajo Land is, I think, the one that you do ne- seriously need an SUV, because we're going to be traveling on dirt roads. 
a lot of the time. Right. Not only an SUV, but also a small group. And then, yeah. let's say, the awareness that at any time we may be asked to leave. Uh, yes. Um, and, and that's a little bit different from regular workshops where... I think that we go to locations where we are not going to have any problems. During the little known workshops, we take a little bit more of an adventurous approach and we go to locations where it's, you know, okay, but there may be a resident that just doesn't want us there and asks us to leave. And then you have to deal with the situation uh, because you take care of that for the most part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I really, um, I think so far... The people that have attended the little-known Navajo land workshop have attended the regular Navajo land workshop, which helps a lot because you get an idea of what Navajo land is about, and then you understand, okay, now we're going to be going into some really remote areas, and we may have to go across somebody's private property and (laughs) that kind of thing and explain the situation. I I think... One of the aspects of the Linnon workshops that's important to know is that they are by invitation only. So they are not announced on my website. There is a, a little link on my website that describes the concept of the workshop, but that asks you to contact us with email in order to be on the list. And so far, for the most part, people that have attended the Little Known Workshops have been previous participants, people that had attended a regular workshop before. There's no requirement that this is the case. Anybody can attend a little-known workshop, but it does require that you agree on the fact that, you know, there is a little bit more adventure here. Yeah. (laughs) And that, you know, you have to be okay with it. If you're going to call us and complain that, you know, we got kicked out of one location, um, that's not going to work. Or or the first night uh, last September, one of the cars got stuck for a few minutes in sand, you know. You know, we have everything with us. We have tow ropes, we have jacks. It's nothing to worry about. But uh, they got themselves out in a couple of minutes. (laughs) And And I think that it demands on the part of the participants that they are willing to accept that. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, so far, it has never been a problem. However, with somebody that has never taken a workshop and we, who maybe expects to be pampered and have everything uh, delivered to them uh, in a very comfortable manner, that wouldn't be appreciable. You know? right. that, that wouldn't be something that they, they would enjoy. You know? However, uh, if the goal of the participant is to photograph locations that they are never going to find on their own and that have maybe never been photographed, that's definitely the place to go. Right. Uh, there's just a price to pay for that, and that is the fact that, after all, we don't really know exactly how it's going to play out mm-hmm. because those are remote locations that never see any photographers. And like I said, the benefit to the participants is that they're going to have unique photographs. But the risk, or the challenge is that, you know, we could have a resident that just doesn't understand what's going on and is afraid that we steal their cows and uh, ask us to leave, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't speak English. Yeah. <laughs> they speak yeah. Navajo. Right? Well, I think the last time we were at the, uh, when we did the little no Navajo land in September, there was... Um, a Navajo that did approach us and it was just because he was concerned that we weren't going to go by his parents grave site which right, I didn't yeah. even know where it was and he told me I just want to let you know my grandparents are buried across the street and if you go over there that's really going to bother me however you can do whatever you want here right. and up the road but that to me that's a very sensitive area well because the Navajos don't have cemeteries the way we do they bury their uh, loved ones 
nearby their house, basically. They do. You know, yeah. at quite a distance. It can be several miles away. Oh, yeah. But within their, the boundaries of their land, which, you know, they, are, they know and we don't. You know, there's no markers, there's no fences, there's no nothing. And, of course, you can happen upon a grave or a graveyard, a family graveyard, by accident. And, you know, you just have to be respectful and, and leave it alone, you mm-hmm. know. But all of that is part of discovering not only the location, but also the culture of Navajo land. Because obviously, a workshop like that is only possible for us to teach because we lived there for a long time, you know, seven years. And if we didn't live there, we wouldn't be able to even comprehend, you know, where to go, how to handle these situations, what to do, how to talk to people and all of that. And the Navajos were so nice because I remember we were on the Nazlini Road on a Sunday afternoon and some of them were really concerned they wanted to make sure we weren't lost. <laughs> Either lost or, yes. or having a car trouble. Yeah, know, yeah, exactly. And they yeah. wanted. They also wanted to be sure that we knew how to get to Chen Li. <laughs> right, yeah. Because yeah. for them, you know, we are in a place that nobody ever photographs. It's beautiful, you know. Right. It's great photography, but nobody ever comes there to photograph. And they are thinking that the reason why we are there is because we are either lost or our car breaks down. Right. You know, or we're stuck or somebody's sick or we had an accident or something like that. Something happened, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we, when we took the turn off from the paved road and we went down the road to Naslini, some of the other trucks that were coming up stopped and asked us if we were lost or not. If we yes. knew, one, one said, do you have a map, right? You remember? Yes, he was concerned. You know, do, yeah. do you know where you're going? Yes. Do you know where that road goes? And I'm like, yeah, it goes to Nazlini. And they're like, oh, okay. They were surprised. You know? They were. And I did not need any help. Of course, we've taken that road before. We know exactly what's involved. But they don't know that and they are concerned for us. You know? right. Uh, right. And I think it's not uncommon for Navajos to be concerned for white people thinking that they are not going to make it, you know. It's easy to misunderstand that for them not wanting us to be out there. They don't really mind that we are out there. No. They just want us to be safe, you know. Yeah. And they were just concerned that we knew how to get back to Chen Li. Yeah. yeah. I remember one time we hiked a canyon near Chen Li, you know, a Three Turkey Canyon. Yes. And we were in, in a very remote area of that canyon. We, over the year, time, hiked the whole length. And we do it by section by section. And we're in the middle section, which is the hardest to get to and the more challenging. And we heard this bell, you know, which was from goats, you know, a goat herder. And eventually we caught up with the goat herder and it was an old Navajo grandmother. And when she saw us, she built a fire. She did. A big fire in the middle of the canyon using dead wood. And for the longest time we thought, why is she doing that? And And the sun was setting. And the sun was setting and it was late in the day and we knew where we were going and we knew we had enough time to go back because we hiked fast. But I think that eventually we concluded that she thought we were going to freeze during the night, that we needed a fire to survive the night. Right. And so she built that fire for us. But she did not say anything. She left. Mm -hmm. She did not want to talk to us. She never turned back, and she started moving faster and faster. She probably was afraid of us as well, you know. And um, she may not have spoke English either right, yeah, in some of those remote we are, areas. So she may have thought we were ghosts or who knows, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that she wanted us to have a fire at least, you know. If we're going to spend the night in there, let's have at a fire. At least have a know? fire, yeah. yeah. It's very easy to get, you know, to misunderstand what their purpose is because we don't understand how they think. But I think that for the most part, it's good, you know. It's all good intentioned. Yeah. I think. And we just think that white people are crazy and, you know, they want to make sure that we're going to survive the experience. (laughs) 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 They wouldn't do it. 
<laughs> if they were us, they would not do it. Right. Right. But provided that we are doing it, let's try to have them survive. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's a chance, you know, that we make it. But in that case, we saw the fire. We did not touch it. Uh, nothing was going to burn. It's just rocks, you know. No, it was and in a wash. It was in a wash. And we went to where we wanted to go, turn around, hike back and came out before it was dark, actually. Mm-hmm. And we were fine. But I, I I can understand why she would think that we were lost because I've never seen a white person in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never seen actually anybody hike that part because there's narrows, there's like a slot canyon, you have to climb down. I mean, it's it's very challenging, you know. So these are some of the places where we go and where we'll take you and it changes from workshop to workshop. It does. That's the quality of the little known workshops is that we don't always do the same itinerary. We change no. according to our desire, the availability, uh, the road conditions, uh, mm-hmm. whatnot, right? Things change. They do change. And, yeah. you know, depending on the year that you do it, whether yeah. you do it in the spring or the fall, we've had... Um, some do the little-known Navajo land workshop several times. There's been a couple of customers that have done it several times. And when we asked one of them this last September, he said the first time he went, he didn't get that many good images that he really liked. So he's kind of glad that we were revisiting some of those locations that he had visited like three or four years previous because he said, you know, I didn't get really get anything I, I liked, so I'm looking forward to going back. Well, he was using 4x5 and wasn't sure how to work the camera, I think. Yeah, I think problem. he was struggling yeah. with it. He was struggling yeah. with his equipment. And uh, nothing wrong with 4x5, but you have to come to a workshop if you use a large format like that with the experience of using it. Otherwise, between the travel and the challenges of every location, it's not going to be possible to learn everything at the same time. And this time he was shooting yeah. strictly digital. Yeah, this time. so I think it was more appropriate for his needs. Yeah. You know, and, and I think we, we meet some of that, you know, where people during workshops realize what works for them and what doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not uncommon, but a workshop is sort of a, a factor of change in the sense that you think this equipment is appropriate for you and you realize that it's really not, you know. Yeah. And what we've seen in recent years is people really changing quite widely about their gear, you know, going from small cameras to big cameras or from big cameras to small cameras, reflex cameras to rangefinder cameras, reflex to medium format, medium format to rangefinders, everything and anything, basically. Everybody's finding their own way. Right. No, I agree. Uh, One thing I do want you to talk about is your teaching on the little-known workshops because it's different from the regular workshops. Yeah, it's more advanced. I mean, these are advanced groups. These are people that are more involved with photography, that are willing to take more chances. They are more committed. They've gone past the step of learning by expecting to be filled in. They are now learning by sucking out information, so to speak. You know, I always compare information to, you know, our learning to having two different aspects, you know, the funnel aspect and the sponge aspect. And in the funnel aspect, people are basically uh, like little containers with a funnel on top of their head and they are waiting for somebody to fill the container with knowledge. And that's what a lot of people do in school, you know, and that's not a very efficient approach because, you know, you don't learn by basically waiting to be filled. The second approach is to act like a sponge and basically suck out the information, you know, by sponging it around. And that's a much more effective approach because you are an active participant. In the first approach, you're passive. In the second approach, you're active. And when you become active, you learn not only faster, but you also learn more and you retain what you learn. 
when you're asking to be filmed, you gather all that information, but you don't always do anything with it. And you tend to forget it because after all, it's not yours. You haven't been participating in the acquisition of the knowledge. And so when people come to the little known workshops, they tend to be part of the second group, you know, the sponge group, and they are actively involved in gathering information that they need for their own work and working on their own projects. And so the teaching is adapted to that, where I talk a whole lot more about personal vision, personal style, workshop, projects, right, you know, short-term project, long-term project, and middle-term project, you know. Right because projects can have uh, a completion date going anywhere from a few days to a few years. And I work with them one-on-one. -on -one. That is, the Little Known Workshop, because it's a very small group, allows for much more conversation between participants and between me and the participants. Right. So there's more exchange, there's more one-on-one. -on -one. A number of students that come to the Little Known Workshops will do consulting with me in our studio before the workshop. Yes. The last time there were two, two people Yeah, the last uh, Little Known Neverland, we had somebody do one day, and then after that, somebody do two days of consulting in our studio. Right. And then both of them joined us for the workshop. So they try to really make right. not only the most out of it, but also to have very personal questions answered. <laughs> because the reason for consulting is to provide an opportunity to answer questions and address issues that can only be addressed one-on-one, -on -one, right. that cannot be addressed as a group. That is, we can learn a lot in a group situation, but there comes a point where the challenges that we face, the questions that we ask are peculiar to us. They yes. are just our questions, our problems, our issues, our challenges, our goals. And while we can talk about it in a group setting, it cannot be solved effectively in a group setting. It has to be done one-on-one. -on -one. Right. How do you work that image in terms of a personal uh, work? That can only be done on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Right. So that's what we do. You know? yeah. yeah. And now, you know, when they do consulting before a workshop, they all want to know if they're going to get some pie now, if I'm going to make a pie and my potato salad. The most important <laughs> aspect of consulting is the lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the pie and then the potato salad, right? Yes. Yeah. We've never had anybody not like the potato salad, and now we have... I think if we did not offer pie, we would have complaints. <laughs> yes. yeah. Nobody complained. Nobody would complain about the consulting, but I think we would have complaints about the pie. Yes. You know? How did you like the consulting? It went great, but no pie. <laughs> right. we, and we don't want to hear that. So you <laughs> you have to keep baking. Right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, the pie flavor varies according to the season, from it apple does. to uh, pumpkin Blueberry. to blueberries. Or, yeah. You haven't made cherry pies, but why not, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Great. So that about sums it up for the Little Known Workshop. One more thing is that they are one day longer than our regular workshop. They are. They are six days instead of five. Yes, with and the with the option of doing a sunrise that last morning, or they can end after sunset right. on Tuesday evening. And for yeah. information, you have to email us. You have to go to our site and then email us, and we'll add you to the list. And uh, if you want to participate, you know you you'll be receiving an email from us, and you have to act quickly because again, votes fill out very fast. Because first of all, we offer very few of them, and second, there's only six seats. Right. Yeah. Well, we've already, we just did the little known Navajo land in September 2014. In June this year, 2015, we're doing Dinosaur National Monument. Well, little known Northern Utah Workshop. That's little known called, yeah. Northern Utah mm -hmm. Workshop. And then, um, 
in August we're doing Grand Canyon Little known Grand monsoons, Canyon monsoons workshop, which workshop, is almost, and those filled up immediately. And those are filling out already, and we haven't even announced them. Right? Um, no, those have filled up. Oh, they already filled. Yeah, up. those are all yeah. full. The, uh, so the we are we are filling out the ones from, we the, have from a next couple. year for 2016. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, so they usually fill out from request. People tell us, "I'm really interested in that. Put me in." Uh, and so, by the time we announce it, we usually have you know anywhere from one to two to three seats and only. And uh, well, uh, and when you announce it on a regular workshop or on another little known, there's usually right. you know they usually sign yeah. up for those during the workshops as well. I think another participant seat as a privilege to be able to join one of these workshops. Because we offer so few of them, because of, we take people to locations that are very personal. These are locations that we discovered on our own. Uh, they are not necessarily on the map, and they are not known to other photographers. And so there's really something very exclusive about it. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and of course, the fact that you're in a very small group, that the workshops are really uh, attended by people that are very motivated, highly motivated, mm-hmm. that sets the tone you know, for something that for many of them is really a life-changing experience. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So yeah. if you're interested, let us know. And uh, we'll, and we'll be announcing yeah. uh, two little known shortly yeah, little for known, 2016. Uh, Eastern Sierra workshop and yeah. little known... Uh, oh, it'll be another Grand Canyon one. Grand Canyon Monsoons, yeah, yeah, yeah which we do at the Monsoons. Because I have a waiting list yeah. already mm-hmm. for that yeah. one. So don't hesitate, just uh, ask us to be on the list. And uh, if that seems too much for you, just look at our regular workshop as a way to warm up. You know, the workshops are obviously more affordable than the little-known workshops, mm-hmm. but um, they also are lower key, so that if you want to get a feel for the workshops, that's probably where you want to go. Oh, definitely, first, um, yeah. And then move on to the little-known workshops later on mm-hmm. and uh, get the full experience. You know, that's how most people do it. You know, they, for the most part, people come in through the regular workshops and then coming to the little-known workshops. Yes. uh, And, you know, we offer a complete program. There's uh, a lot to be discovered. And uh, the goal is to teach every aspect of photography, from field work to processing, printing, uh, framing, matting, and if you're so inclined, marketing and selling, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, is a complete system. And if we don't teach it in a workshop, that's when one-on-one consulting in our studio, we do all that. Right. One way or another, we teach it. Some Mm -hmm. things during consulting because it's easier. It's very difficult to teach matting during a workshop. (laughs) We do it uh, in the studio. Yeah. Usually I take them up to the frame room. And it's not of interest to everybody. That's true. So we do it in the house. And Natalie shows uh, Mm -hmm. exactly how you do it, right? Sometimes they photograph me every step of the way. You're welcome to (laughs) photograph, even videotape if you want. Yeah. Or they like to photograph the uh, workrooms, how they're all set up, or even my tools. Right. They like to look at all the tools that I have and that I'm using and what I use for what. It's an experience also. I mean, consulting is is definitely the most personal aspects of what we do. I mean, if you have the regular workshop, 12 people, little known workshop, six people, and then consulting one person. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do work with couples, you know, if they work together, but it's one person normally or two people at the most. And that's as exclusive as it gets. Right. And And they get to see, like, my workspace. A lot of times people say, well, I call you on the phone and I talk to you on the phone all the time. But, wow, now I get to see exactly, you know, where you work 
work and right. and they look at the artwork that is in my office or in your office you know and how we personalize I personalize my workspace and how you kind of you personalize yours and you know a workspace is something that you you want to feel comfortable in and um, you want to make it personal you know something that somewhere where you enjoy being it's yeah. an opportunity to see the layout of a fine art photography studio you know mm-hmm. a lot of people have a very clear idea of how a portrait studio is organized or a product studio is organized but there's not that many fine art photographers that open their studio to students mm-hmm. and of course there's far less uh, successful fine art photographers than there are successful portrait or wedding or product photographers because the market is smaller and so we offer one of the few opportunities to see exactly how it's done from the production part to the frame, you know, which is the printing, the processing and the printing, to the matting, the framing, the curating, the finishing, and, and then the selling because we have the gallery. So mm-hmm. they can go from looking at how I process and print to how you mat frame and finish the work, curate the work to how the work is sold in a gallery. Oh, it's yeah. a complete process from A to Z. Oh, you know? yeah. And that's very, very uncommon. Actually, personally, I don't know of anybody else that does that. Mm-hmm. You know? And there are uh, people that come here to do one-on-one consulting. They feel right at home. They go into the inner courtyards, the home gallery, and take pictures. And well, they see our lifestyle as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and, and We have a very large home, so every aspect of the work is done in separate rooms. It's mm-hmm. not a, a cramped studio at all. It's very roomy. And we have uh, such a large outdoor living space being in Arizona because mm-hmm. that's how they sell houses in Arizona is how much square feet do you have an outdoor living space? Well, because people live outdoor you know? because the weather is always great. I mean, this is February and it's basically spring. Oh, I know. You know, I mean... The birds are being and nesting. the little flowers and are growing and the bees yes. are making nests, you know. Yep. And people also see our art collection, which is quite extensive. It is. Because it's important if you like art, if you produce art, if you create to also collect yes very I agree. important you have to live with art around you and it can't be just yours mm-hmm. you have to be inspired and respectful of other people's art and we can see our art collection there's really a whole aspect here about looking at an artist studio which is always a surprise how do artists live well come on and take a look at how we do it you know right. it's one version right. and everybody's unique and everybody's different so i think What we talked about here is uh, the different workshops we offer, you know, the Fine Art Photography Summit, the little known workshops, and then finally touch up a little bit on consulting in the studio. And uh, hopefully that will give a good idea of what we offer to prospective students and to those that have done some of it, give them an idea of what other options we offer. Yes. And again, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to email us. The email is on my website, Alan, A-L-A-I-N, at beautiful-landscape.com. And of course, our website, beautiful-landscape.com. And there's also a link to this podcast to my website. So thank you for listening to us. And uh, we hope to see you again on the next podcast.